Uh, guys, it's um, good to see you all. Um, welcome to Ecclesia, especially if this is your first time. My name is Dean, um, and I'm a member here. Um, and I'll be sharing the word with you today. So um, if I start, I'll, I'll read. I'm going to read from my screen. There you go. There you go with the water. Thank you. You want to bought that from the shop, didn't you? Thank you, Ron. Thank you. So today, as you can see, we're in uh, Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. And I am going to read from the beginning of the chapter, um, from verse 1, and I'm going to read, read through to 16. So if you could join me, it will be up on the screen. I'll read. Just about make that out. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, uh, from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and know the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what has been attained or what we have attained. I'm going to pray and then I'll, I'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for um, another lovely day. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to come and gather with the saints, Lord, to, 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 to praise, Lord, to worship, to pray to hear your word. 
Father God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us today, Lord, in a way that we might be able to hear. Lord, soften our hearts that we might be able to receive what it is you have to say to us from your word today. Uh, thank you for Paul and uh, Philippians, Lord, and for the message that he had for them and, and subsequently for us, Lord. Pray that we would hear it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm not sure how much uh, or how many of us still watch um, channels like the National Geographic or, or other nature channels uh, where we're able to observe the, the animal kingdom. But one of the, the great events among many is called the Salmon Run. Hold off, Rob. Where are you? Yeah, there you go. One minute, one minute. It's called the Salmon Run. Um, uh, you, might, you might as well go to it now. Uh, but this is an event <laughs> whereby fully grown adult or mature, mature salmon embark on a treacherous journey to return to the place of their birth. To get there, it involves leaving the sea, uh, going back into the river system, traveling upstream, uh, which means making leaps like that. And as I said, it's a treacherous journey, not only because of the distance that they have to travel uh, and the trem tremendous effort that it takes. You can imagine how much effort that might take for, I mean, I say little fish, but it's a uh, decent size. It can be fairly big. They need to fight currents. They need to negotiate waterfalls. But also, they need to avoid predators. Uh, they need to beware killer whales in the sea, birds, wolves, otters, and perhaps most notably, bears. Uh, you can turn to the slide now. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is what they have to contend with on their journey. Not a joke, man. And we might think, you know, we might wonder, why did a salmon do this? And maybe we understand the mission. We understand what they're doing. They're trying to get back to the place of their birth. Yeah. But what's the goal? The goal is to spawn or to nest and lay eggs. I mean, if it was good enough for them, you know, to be born there, it's good enough for their offspring to be born there. So they make this tremendous journey. This is the cycle. They're born, they remain in those shallow waters in the, and in the river system uh, for, you know, the early parts of their uh, life. And then eventually, when they get a bit bigger, when they're able to adapt to the sea, they go to the sea where they bulk up, get big, um, in order to spawn. And then they look to return to the place uh, where it all started. Now, something of this natural event, as odd as it might seem at this point, um, speaks to what we'll be talking about today as we continue in the book of Philippians and specifically in verses 12 to 16 of chapter 3. It's an often quoted part of the Bible in which Paul speaks about his desire to press on or to strive towards the goal or his goal. That is to win the prize for which God has called him in Christ. He suggests that this should be the goal for the Philippian believers. And consequently, as God's people today, it should be the goal for us. So to... 
give a brief summary of what has led to this point. You know, Paul is writing, as I said, to the Philippian church, and he's writing from Rome. He's, in, he's, he's under arrest, um, possibly house arrest. And in chapter 1, he expresses his desire for them to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, that they might discern the will of God, that, that they might be blameless and pure and be filled with the righteousness that comes through Christ. He compels them, whatever happens, to conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Whether in person or at a distance, he wants to be encouraged by their maturity, by their firmness in the faith, being of one spirit, working together, without fear in the face of those who might oppose them. He continues in chapter 2 by encouraging them, if not urging them, to be like-minded, to be of the same love and of the same spirit and mind. He tells them to be humble and to do nothing out of vain conceit or out of a sort of self-obsessed self-importance, but to look to the needs of others before their own. He highlights the, the perfect example of Christ, who was the ultimate picture of humility. And we'll look a little bit more uh, at that later. He urges them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, not to be complacent or arrogant before calling them to do all that they do without grumbling, without arguing, so that they may be blameless and pure. This, and holding firm to the word of life, would make them stand out in the world. He wants to be able to boast in the Lord of their lives, showing that he didn't run his own race in vain, even if he is spent for them, even if he's poured out. And here in chapter 3, as uh, Brother Bertram shared last week, he's not here today, um, Paul warns them against following those in the, their vicinity who oppose them and seek to trouble their faith. Those he refers to as dogs, if you remember from last week. They were those who preached a different message to that of putting full faith in Christ, full trust, and instead emphasized being circumcised of the flesh. Paul said that they, the Philippians, as those who follow Christ, are the true children of God who put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in vain rituals or anything that they could personally boast in. Paul asserts that if anyone could do that, he could, as we read. Paul was himself one of the greatest achievers of Jewish self-righteousness of his generation. But he considers all of that, all of that personal achievement and merit, rubbish for the sake of Christ. Everything lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And it's at this point that we meet our verses, verses 12 to 16, uh, which I've read. And if I was to summarize what Paul is saying in these verses, um, I would summarize them as saying, mature believers humbly strive towards God's upward call in Christ. Mature believers humbly strive towards God's upward call in Christ. And I'm going to talk about these uh, verses under two headings. Um, the first is, have humility in pursuit of the prize. 
have humility in pursuit of the prize. So in verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the ESV version. He says this after what he's just explained to the Philippians in the previous verses, and that which Bertram preached last week, where he says that he doesn't want to rely on his own righteousness, which comes from the law of Moses, but the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ alone. And that's that imputed righteousness, that righteousness that we all need, which is transferred to us by Christ. He goes on to say that he wants to be like Christ in his suffering and death, to share in them, so that he might also share in the resurrection life of Christ. He wants to share in the resurrection life of Christ. And yet Paul admits that he hasn't attained that goal of being like Christ in every way. But his aim is to press on to reach his target. And I think we see a certain humility in Paul here. And it's likely that he's saying this possibly in response to those around the Philippian believers who were giving a message that perfection could be attained. If you if you just be circumcised, if you just follow all these laws and all these traditions, you can achieve perfection and you can be in right standing with God. Then you'll be righteous. But Paul says it's not so. He recognizes the call to Christians to aspire to the higher standards or to, to higher standards. In uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he, he says that they need to be uh, blameless and without blemish. Spotless. And as Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, uh, verse 48, he said, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But Paul himself, he never claimed to have reached that perfection. He concedes to not being perfect. Or in other translations... He concedes not to being fully mature. And the sense that he's giving here is the sense of being the finished article or being complete, fully mature. Paul, to the contrary, with the false message that was being bandied around, says he presses on or strives to make and to attain that perfection, to make it his own in Christ. He pursues it with all deliberate speed. And despite all, he's achieved. So one thing I want us to note here is that Paul's not talking about striving for salvation. He's not talking about striving to, 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 to becoming a Christian, as though salvation is attained by works. It's not. That would contradict what he's just said about not trying to acquire righteousness of his own. He's talking to those who are already in Christ. He's talking about our final destination, where we want to be in the end when all is said and done. And I think there's definitely something for us to glean here at Ecclesia, especially if we call ourselves followers of Christ. 
I mean, in the first instance, it's humility in our desire to press on. The question of humility brings up the question of self-assessment. Do we have a correct view of ourselves, or are we conceited, self-inflated? Do we have a list of reasons as to why we're in right standing with God? As though it were our efforts that brought us here in the first place. Examples could be drawn from today, Sunday service, with all the busyness of getting things ready and doing things. Sound team, children's, tabernacle. You're here, bang on, on job. Praise God. Maybe you uh, help out at the food bank, faithfully. Maybe it's an evangelism on a Saturday. Maybe you help and work at TLG. Or maybe we can become self-satisfied by comparing ourselves to others who are maybe not doing too well or, you know, it's a little bit less impressive, isn't it? Maybe it could, do with, uh, could, could be to do with our lives outside of the four walls of, four walls of this church. Maybe there are other things giving us a sense of security and contentment. Could be our work. Maybe we're doing quite well, progressing quite well. Our careers, moving up the ladder, you're respected. Our businesses, maybe we're pulling in, pulling in the money. Yeah, doing all right? Academic achievements. Maybe we're doing okay there as well. Maybe we've, we might not be achieving right now. We might have achieved previously. And it gives us that sense of self-worth and, and value. Finances. Got that all straight on top of it. Things are running well. House is taken care of. Bills, everything. Feel good. Family. Got the wife, the kids, got the babies. You know? Living life, man. Everyone's well. Relationships. With the man of our dreams, the woman of our dreams. You know, on the path to getting married, maybe. God, I'm good. You're clearly with me. I'm blessed. And highly favored. <laughs> but maybe we, need to, maybe we need to reassess our lives. And yet, actually, there can, be a, there can be a danger. There can be a real danger with, with self-assessment because we can get it completely wrong. We can deceive ourselves as to how we're doing, how well we're doing, how good we are. To an extent, only God knows what state we're in and what path we're really on. But, it's also, it's also possible that others can see things in us or about us that we can't necessarily see ourselves. Only tr truly, only God knows. But there'll be signs. 
think my point here is um, that we're not always the best judges of ourselves. Are we humble? Do we see that we, like Paul, need to be pressing on? Or are we, are we complete? Are we, are we finished? And actually, another question we might ask is whether we even desire to press on. And I suppose the two might be interlinked. The humility needed to be able to press on is one thing, but perhaps the desire to press on is another thing. Have we stagnated, plateaued as Christians, or even regressed? Maybe we're, we're stuck in this cycle of, of sin and grace, sin and grace. And it reminds me of a um, conversation that I had a few years back um, with a man called Dick Lucas. Um, he's, he's, like, he's almost like a C.S. Lewis of our time. He's one of those, those kind of legends of our generation, if you like. And I met him at um, Cornhill, which is a Bible college I went to um, a few years back. And the reason I got to speak to him, or that he had particular interest in speaking to me, is because of the woman I now call my wife. She worked on the top floor, and she was quite, she was quite fond of Selena. You know, he particularly liked her name, because he reminded her of someone called Lady Selena, which some of you guys might have, you know, you know, proper, you know, this, you know, guy, you know, I'm talking middle class, you know, he's quite, you know, a little bit, I'm not going to call him posh, but... Um, but you know, and, and so he wanted to meet this guy who was courting um, Lady Selena. And so he called me up one time and I got to speak with him. And, um, you know, I can't remember all the details of our conversation. But one thing he said was, um, he asked me what church I go to. I said, you know, Calvary Chapel, South London, you know, Ecclesia. And he said, okay, what's their emphasis What's their, what do they emphasize? Never heard that question in my life. I, I couldn't really answer him at the time. Um, but, but on reflection, I kind of thought, and maybe in conversation with one or two people after that, I kind of thought, do we emphasize grace? Do we emphasize grace? And you know, that wouldn't be a bad thing to, to emphasize. But I wonder if it's possible that we, almost like a, a broken record, can get as far as acknowledging our sin. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I fail to love you as I should. And I do the things you hate. And grace. But Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace in Christ. Amen. Before we kind of malfunction and repeat that cycle in a way that we ought not to, almost taking grace for granted. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is essential to our faith. You know, when and not if we sin as imperfect human beings, we must repent, of course. And we must do so continually throughout our lives, daily. But does this somehow nullify any desire to press on? 
and to pursue our goal as Christians. To pursue God. To pursue his calling and his reward. Is that in our mindset? Church. So it might be clear at this point in the series that Humility is a central theme in Paul's letter to the Philippians, which is centered on Christ, who is, again, the perfect and ultimate picture of humility. There's a, I think there's a slide, actually. There we go. So in chapter 2 of the same book, verses 5 to 11, and I'm not going to preach on this because it's already, already uh, sort of been addressed prior to this, so I won't spend too much time on it. But it's key to what we're talking about here because it's given the ultimate example of, of humility in Christ. And I'll read it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. This is the mindset that Paul had and the mindset that he was encouraging the Philippian believers to have. This mind and this humility is key in our pressing on as followers of Christ. This will bring us to the acknowledgement that we have not arrived and that we are not like Christ in every way. But we want to be. And it could be said also that these verses capture the gospel, the good news that Paul had given his life to. The same could be said of those believers at Philippi and the same could be said of many of us here who trust in Christ. We have been liberated from sin, from shame, darkness, spiritual death, as a result of Christ's humility and what he did for us. For the sake of a sinful, broken world full of rebellious people, he, he emptied himself by coming into a world, into the world that he had created in the form of a servant, in the likeness of Man. And if that condescension wasn't enough, if that stooping down wasn't enough, he humbled himself in becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was the worst way to die at that time. And God vindicated him, showing Jesus to be who he claimed to be by raising him from the grave. 
in victory so that whoever would trust in him, whoever would call on his name, would receive eternal life. God has given him the name that is above every name, that at his name, every being, living and dead, all of creation, should bow their knee in submission to him and call him Lord at the appointed time. And all of that to the Father's glory. Amen. This is the, Paul, this is the, the truth that has taken over Paul. And this is what he's referring to when he says at the end of verse 12 that Christ has made me his own. In verses 13 to 14, Paul reiterates the fact that he has not made perfection his own. And he says this before saying, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining to, to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that he forgets all that is past, no longer being influenced or affected by it in order to press on, to look forward, straining, straining forward to what lies ahead. In other words, fully extending or stretching as though, in a, as though he's in a race, racing to win a prize. Um, and I think there's, there's some slides. Some athletes, yeah. So you've got some runners and, or athletes, including the horses. You know, they're, they're doing a fair bit of that task. But you can see... You can see that those, at least those guys are straining, pushing forward. To win the race. I don't know who's got it there. Maybe, you know, the black guy with his hand out. Maybe he crossed the line first. I don't know. But they're straining with every fiber in their being. Being stretched. It's the picture of intense pursuit. And it's the terminology, the pressing on here, that could be used of a predator hunting its prey. I've got another slide as well. Thank you very much. A hunter hunting its prey. Intense pursuit. The one who puts his or her trust in Christ, works hard, runs with all their strength. Not working for salvation, working from salvation. Paul knew that he couldn't dwell on the past. He couldn't dwell on past failures and sins they'd been forgiven couldn't rely on previous successes even in service to the Lord Jesus Christ those, none of those should allow him to, to sit on his hands and he gives the sense in saying forgetting that it's an ongoing process and he goes on to say that he is pressing on for the prize of the upward call of Christ. So, although we have already been redeemed as God's people in Christ, and note that we didn't strive to be saved, it came to us freely, right? 
we must still look forward to the day when God's work in us will be completed. As Paul was convinced earlier in his letter, in um, verse 1, uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, He who began a good work in us, in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's our final destination. When we go to be with him and when we'll be made like him. Although we already have, have joyfully confessed that Jesus is Lord, we must still wait for the day when all of creation does that too. We are already citizens of God's kingdom. But we are still waiting for the day that the Lord Jesus, our Savior, returns and he comes to transform our bodies. However that will work, whenever that will work. And so we see here there's a tension between the now and the already and the not yet. The, the, the to come, which is, it, it characterizes our life as Christians. It's, it's here, but it's not yet fully grasped and attained. And this brings me to my second point, my second of two points, uh, verses 15 to 16, um, which is seek maturity in following Paul. Seek maturity in following Paul. And we're approaching the final stages of Paul's letter. And in these verses, he begins to tell the Philippians to imitate him in the following verses. Whoever's up next week will, will, will tell you about that. But that's to follow his example as he leads the way, to use him as a model and live the way that he lives. It's the same thing he repeats to the believers in, in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 4 and 11. In verse 15, Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And the word mature here is essentially the same word in the Greek as the word perfect we saw earlier. So in effect, it's like Paul is saying in verse 12 that he is not perfect and therefore you know, we might say who is at that point. But then he begins in verse 15 by saying, all of us who are perfect. So is he contradicting himself? Well, well, he's not. Because he's using the word in two different ways. In the first instance, he's talking um, about our standing, our position in Christ. But now, he's referring to those who have been built up in the faith. Almost like a, a baby going from milk to meat going through the stages of, of growth to an adult. He's speaking of them as not being stuck on what Paul in Hebrews 6 calls the, the elementary teachings of Christ. And maybe what I mentioned earlier about the whole sin and grace cycle, maybe that, that fits into the elementary teachings. They are mature. They've taken the stabilizers off their push bikes. And Paul says that the mature among the Philippians should think in the way that Paul's been speaking over the chapter and indeed over the book. 
And again, I think um, there's room for us to reflect on this as well here at Ecclesia. If I may ask, who is mature among us? Do any of us consider ourselves to be mature? In what sense? In terms of Christian devotion, values, commitment, endeavor, etc., etc.? Or just by virtue of the fact that you're a grown person, that you're an adult? See, many of us, I think, here come from fairly strict cultures where um, it's only right that you respect your elders. It means not calling people by their first names. It means calling your elders auntie, uncle, mum, mummy, for a lot of us here. Anything else comes as a disrespect. Why? Because we're talking to grown, mature people. But is this what Paul's talking about here? Is he talking about auntie and uncle? I'm not sure he is. He's referring to what I said before. He's referring to, to godliness. How much like Christ are we? How much do we obey him and set a good example? Both to the church and to the world around us. Are we mature? Are we wise? Or are we grown and still immature? Not stable, not consistent, or simply not bothered. We're here, we do things, you know, we serve, but we're just going through the motions. We're not growing, we're not loving, we're not obeying. And you know, there's something else that um, has been on my heart to, to share along these lines, not just a random um, diversion, excursion. There's been talk of among us, you know, uh, for those who are in, a lack of community, a lack of discipleship, and therefore a lack of growth and maturity among members, and a need for better more godly, biblical culture here at Ecclesia. I know this because I've said some of these things about us. I'm with you. Do you know some of the fundamental ways in which these issues are addressed is through meeting together as God's people, in fellowship and communion, under God's word. That might look like a home group or a community group. And meeting in prayer. Actually, it could be said that these things are essential, vital to our life as a church. I can attest to the fact that this is how I've grown as a believer over the last 10 years since I've been here. 
And without those things, I wouldn't be here. Only God would know, only God knows where I'd be. And the same is true for most of us. These, these times, these times in meeting together, in prayer, these things equate to some of the best times that we will have as believers. Some people can't even do that around the world for fear of being killed. But we join together, we join together joyfully to pray to the Lord our God and to delight in and, and wrestle with his word. Really, Lord? That's what you expect of me? Huh? Thank you, Lord. That's how you see me? Huh? We grow just by being around other believers praying. These things, among other things, would foster, help to foster that, that sense of togetherness, that sense of community, that sense of intimacy where we share our lives, not just how was your week. Growth in the knowledge of the Lord and his word. The right way of thinking about Christ and his church. How am I to see this? How am I to, to deal with this mess? I'm a part of the mess. This is vital. And I think we're seeing some of the effects of are not doing these things. And, you know, there are some factors, some obvious factors, which contribute to us not being able to, you know, do certain things or logist logistical things, whatever it might be. I, I, I get it. But one of the main factors is that we don't seem to want it. Or we feel we don't need it. Because ultimately, we vote with our feet. I don't know. And maybe, you know, there are other ways we can go about doing these things in the future. Local home groups, local prayer groups, or obviously one, maybe one central prayer group. These are things for leadership to consider. But we, we need them. We need them. And you know, can I tell you the things that won't necessarily help us to mature or in our desire to grow? In the place of praying and meeting? I'll be honest. Food bank. Food bank. Tell me how you're going to grow and mature as a Christian through the food bank. TLG. You are not going to grow necessarily and mature via TLG in the place of prayer and meeting. Now, I've, I've really put my cards on the table, haven't I? I really have. But let me, you know, I feel like I need to qualify what I'm saying, yeah? I'll qualify it. These things in themselves are not bad. These things are good, are good things. And in a sense, we're responding to the needs of our community, which is great. But not in, in place of what is vital. 
is there a way in which we are preferring these things over meeting and fellowshipping and praying? Is there a way in which these things can give us a full sense of where we're at as a church? What if we didn't have these things? What would our church look like then? Would we be flatlining? What might the Lord say if he came to us now? And I think we might be helped by seeing what he found of other churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, particularly the churches in Sardis and Laodicea. Revelation 3, verse 1 to 3. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then, what you, have, what you received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Verse 15 to 17, Church of Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind. I think I need to find that next bit. And naked. Are we in danger? Those are my questions. Are we in danger, church? Do we need to repent? We can weigh these things up. And you can come to me afterwards <laughs> and tell me what you think. So back in our verses. Paul goes on to say that in verse 15, that if they think differently on anything, that God would reveal the true way to them. It's not entirely clear in what sense he means this, whether some might find difficulty with the things he said or whether they will disagree on things among themselves. But both seem feasible. One thing is clear. God will show the way to those who diligently seek him. Paul has been speaking about the latter throughout his letter, disagreement among, amongst themselves, each other, throughout his letter, which is why humility is a common theme. It's one of the main issues that he wants to address. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we are nearing the end. Um, this is also relevant to us, and I won't spend too much time here, um, especially as we're in the process of establishing a council I think we've probably already seen that there is plenty of room for disagreement, for contention, tension. But what's going to show our maturity? What Paul has been saying, imitating him 
and having the same mind as Christ, being of the same mind, having the same love, not doing anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, in humility, considering others greater than ourselves. It's hard, I know. We can easily react to offense. We're quick to stick up for our rights when we've been violated. And yes, maybe your point is valid. But sometimes we need to back off, to forego, to reflect before speaking, to pray. These are the things that will show our maturity. In verse 16, Paul tells the Philippians that they should, at the least, live by the truth that they have already recognized and received. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And the sense here is not just of individually throwing on, um, following on, because I think it, it, in our society today, is we're very individualistic. You know, um, it's, it's me and God, and we forget me and everyone else. Don't forget that when Paul is writing these letters, he's writing to a group of people. He highlights individuals at times. But he's talking to the church, the body, the collective. It's the sense in which he's talking here is of keeping in line with others. Almost like saying we should be marching in line like soldiers, each person in their proper position. One commentator says, in choosing this verb, let us live up to, Paul once again stresses the importance of harmony and mutual cooperation in spite of whatever divergence of opinion may exist. Another commentator says, the apostle is confident that a desire to know the truth in full measure will be rewarded by God's revelation. In the meanwhile, he goes on, this guy speaking of Paul, saying, until you see things like this, be open-minded, be teachable, and guide your life by what you know is to be true, according to the faith, of course. So we are coming to a close now. Um, I'm going to ask the, 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 sound, uh, pray, uh, the praise team to come up. In, in a moment, give me, give, me, give me two minutes. But as we close, hopefully we can see that we must be humble in our pursuit of God's prize for us. That we must seek to be like Paul in his maturity. Why? Because mature believers humbly strive towards God's upward call in Christ. The key is to have the same mindset as Christ, which we've seen, which we went through, which produces joyful unity in the gospel. Because of what, of what Christ has done for us, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling, spurred on by the conviction that, that God himself is at work in us. Paul gives himself as an example for us to emulate as he models on Christ. 
So if I may ask the sound team to come up. Praise team, praise team. Them, them are part of the sound manager. They make noise. So going back to my, um, my salmon uh, illustration I used at the beginning. Do you know that once they reach their destination, the place of their origin, where they're seeking to nest and provide the next generation, after all of that, you know, they die. They put so much work into that journey that after, after they've accomplished their goal, they, they, they expire. It is literally their final destination. That's if they make it all the way. But even this one, even this one, you can see. You see that red stuff coming out of its uh, area there? That's the spawn. That's the spawn. Now, you know, I, I imagine it's a, a female. She's probably accomplished her mission. And I'm sorry, I, don't, I hope this isn't a sort of offending anyone. I mean, but even in death, this fish is accomplishing its mission. Even in death, this fish is spawning where it needs to spawn, in the shallow waters where the predators wait. And in an odd way, isn't it great that this can be said not only of Christ, but also of all the Christians that follow his lead? Even in death, accomplishing its goal. Okay, let me pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word again um, and for what you can do through it, Father. I pray that you know, what I've said today has been faithful and that it hasn't caused too much offense. And even then, Lord, we can, we can resolve whatever problems might have occurred from what I've said. But yet ultimately, Lord, if faithfully preached, Lord, this is your word. It's not about me. Father, if there's need for us to, to repent, to change the way we think, Lord, to change what we're doing, then Lord, I pray that you would make that clear to us. That we would seek you in full measure and be rewarded by your revelation. And Father, maybe... Maybe we're where we need to be. Lord, I pray that you would show us. Either way, Lord, give us a, a yearning, a desire for what is vital, Lord, for what we need. Lord, what is essential to our personal Christian lives. Lord, and what is essential to our church. Lord, we don't desire to strive with one another and to continue in immaturity, Lord, but we want to, in humility, press on, Lord, maturing along the way. Please help us all to do that. Please give us all that desire. Give me that desire, Lord. And help our leadership, Lord, as they consider the right way to go. Help us to be a, a help to them and not a hindrance. Father, with all the changes that are coming, Again, 
Help us to be united, joyful, not divisive and contentious. But Lord, to love one another. And Lord, this is the church, Lord. This is who you've chosen to love in all our mess and, and sinfulness. Father, show us the right way and lead us, guide us, that we may know you, Lord, that we may forget all, leave behind all for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.